Take your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be sharing a message with you today entitled, See You at the Top. See You at the Top. And I want to continue our series through the book of Mark. Uh, I haven't been able to preach out of Mark uh, much here for the last few Sundays, so I want to do it this morning, come back to it, and continue on with our series. So would you stand with me now? I'm going to read Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 32 to verse 45. 32 to 45. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. Again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You may be seated. The story is told of a man named Jim Jones. He lived in New York City, and he wanted to go to, to Boston. So he bought a ticket. He went to the airport. He got there a little early, so he had a few minutes that he could have some spare time. And he saw these scales over in the airport uh, terminal. And he stepped on the scales, he put a quarter in. And out on the screen came his fortune. And it said this. You are John Jones. You weigh 188 pounds. And you are going to catch the 220 to Boston. He was astounded, he was amazed. They got all the information correct about his life, and he said, this is some kind of trick. So he stepped back on the scale, he put another quarter in, and the computer screen read it out. You are still John Jones. You still weigh 188 pounds. And you are still going to catch the 220 to Boston. So he stepped off the scales, and he said, this is some kind of trick. I'm going to figure out what this is, but whoever or whatever's behind this, I'm going to figure it out. So he goes into the restroom, and he changes his clothes. When he changes his clothes, he puts on a hat, and he comes back out. He goes to the scale. He puts in a quarter, and out on the screen comes his fortune again. You are still John Jones. You still weigh 188 pounds, and you just missed the 220 to Boston. 
Now, I like that little story because sometimes in our lives, we become distracted and we miss the 220 to Boston. This is a message for those who have missed the 220 to Boston because they've got distracted in their life. And my sermon today is around the distractions that sometimes come in our life and we miss God's calling on our life for what he's after with us. So, I want to preach this theme. The real opportunity to get to the top with God is by getting to the bottom of things. Then climbing the stairs one step at a time. I want to jump into that. How to climb your way to greatness in God's kingdom. This is what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. I struggled with what God wanted me to say in the early part of the week and just couldn't quite get it and just really uh, came to a place where I feel like this is what the Lord would have me to say to you. And I'm praying that God would use it in your life. Number one, here we go. Number one, buckle down on mission. I used words around the word mission. Buckle down on mission. Mission. Jesus is explaining to them, if you'll notice in chapter 10, verse 35, they were on the road. Now that phrase, on the road, is the key phrase from chapter 8 to chapter 11 because he's left Galilee, Act 1. Act 2 is the traveling all the way to Jerusalem. Then he's going to step into the city of Jerusalem, and that's Act 3. Okay? Act 1, we're in Act 2, on the road, or on the way, some translations say. And, and the idea is that's the theme verse, that's the theme phrase in the book from chapters 8 to 11 of Jesus saying, I've got a journey to take. Okay? So he's very intent on this way of teaching them what discipleship is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now he says, on the road, the key phrase then, the second key phrase is, up to Jerusalem. Up to Jerusalem. It's the first time he says it. Now I want to show you a topographical map of Jerusalem. And if you look at that white star on that map, you will see that's Jerusalem. There is no way to get there north, south, east, or west, without going up. You have to go up to get to Jerusalem. So that's important to note because what Jesus is saying is, symbolically, I'm on my way to my death, and I am going up, and it's going to be difficult, and we are going to face some things, and I want to talk to you about those things. And so everything is an upward, upward trek up to the cross. And ultimately, he's going to be put up on a cross. So the whole phrase, up to, tells you the intensity of the moment, the seriousness of the moment, that this is his whole plan on the way. Now, he says, up to Jerusalem. He says it twice. He says it in verse 32, and he says it in verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. But I want you to notice, verse 32, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. They were amazed, and they were fearful. Okay, why was Jesus walking on ahead of them? Why, why does the author point that out? Because that's not a normal thing for a rabbi to do if he's going to lead his people, if he leads his disciples and those that are following him. They don't go out in front. What they do is they come and they mingle in the group and they teach them on the way wherever they're going. That's what a rabbi does. But what they're amazed by is he goes out in front and leads them. And they're also afraid because they're thinking this is not the best place for us to be going to Jerusalem because no one really 
wants us there of the chief priests and the scribes, and this is like the last place you want to go, Jesus. And Jesus is saying to them, follow me. And he's resolute, and he's determined, and he's firm, and he's going. He's, he's happy to do the will of the Father. And so you see this movement of Jesus. Come on, keep up, boys. Keep up, keep up. I'm going to a cross, and I'm going to die. Just keep coming, keep following. And I am, I am at one level delighted to do the will of the Father, and I'm going to get at it. I'm determined, I'm resolute, I am committed, and nothing's going to take me off track. Come on, keep it up, boys. Keep up, keep up with me. This is what I came for. I came to go to that cross. This is everything in Jesus' life. And so he's got this intensity about him. They're fearful. They're amazed at this. And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm prepared to do. I'm ready to obey my Father. So he leads out in front to show them how important this is and the moment that he's going to do. Now, on this trip, he tells them the third time what's going to happen to him. How many times you got to tell somebody that? This is the third time I'm going to tell you. And they never got it the third time. The first time he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify me, I'm going to die. Second time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. This time, he makes it more specific. He elaborates and gives more detail to what he's going to do. Here, he tells exactly what's going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen when I get into town is I'm going to be delivered to the hands of the chief priests, of my people, the people of Israel. Then when I'm delivered to them, they're going to condemn me. And then they are going to deliver to me to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going to treat me as if I'm a scapegoat. I'm going to be taken outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And I'm going to be hung on a cross outside the city. And I'm going to be separated from God's presence. So I'm going to be turned over to these Gentiles. And what are they going to do to me? They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me with a cat of nine tails. They're going to spit on me. And then they're going to crucify me. Now, I just want to stop here a minute. I want to say, how would you like to know the exact way you're going to die? I'll tell you, from my, from my perspective, the way I want to know, I want to die in my sleep, and I don't even want to know I'm dying. That's how I want to die, okay? Jesus read the Old Testament so thoroughly, that's how he could say all that, because all of that is in the Old Testament. And he read it, and he knew how he was going to die. Now, if you knew you were going to die, would you get out in front and lead the way and say, come on, boys, come on, let's go, let's go? No. If you were going to your death, to your execution, if you were going to be with the electric chair, if you were going to be hanged, you'd be taking all the time you could, shuffling along just like this, like, oh, I don't want to get there. Oh, this is gruesome. This is awful. Jesus is not like that. He is like this. Come on. i got to get there. It's an amazing kind of spirit that Jesus has here. And so he is committed to this. This is what Martin Luther called, this is so beautiful, the theology of the cross, right there in those two verses. The theology of the cross, which is the theology of the New Testament, which is then the theology of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I was resolved not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what I was all about, is that I was going to be crucified. See, the death of Jesus is not something that happened to Him. Jesus' death was why He was born. You have heard that a thousand times, born to die, born to die, born to die, but just think about that for a minute. Not one of you 
were born to die. You have a completely different purpose in your life. For me, I'm preaching. Some were song leading. Some were doing other things in this church. Some have different kinds of jobs and ministries. Everybody has a different purpose. But Jesus' primary purpose, why he came, was to die. Nobody lives like that. Nobody comes into this world thinking, my purpose, my primary purpose is to die. But Jesus knew that was his, and we should never, ever forget that. That's on mission. And when Jesus was set on mission, he set his face to Jerusalem and said, that's where we're going. That's where I want to get to. That's my whole life right there. Okay, that's number one, on mission. All right? Number two, chase down omission. Chase down omission. This is verse 35 to 40 here. This is where James and John come up to him. The sons of Zebedee and Mark, he's also, they're also called the sons of thunder. They came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? They said, Grant that we may sit on your right hand and on your left in your glory. And Jesus said, Man, you don't know what you're asking. Let me just stop right there. You don't know what you're asking. No sooner did Jesus give them the theology of the cross, James and John are now going to give them the theology of glory. See, it's completely different perspectives. Jesus is teaching us the theology of the cross, and they want the theology of glory. We want to sit on your right hand and on your left. And the reason they thought that way is because they thought the reason he was going to Jerusalem is for a rebellion. They're going to call down the angels from heaven, and when the angels are called down from heaven, we're going to set up our kingdom, we're going to destroy them. So they got their swords, they got everything ready to go. Jesus, we're ready to die for you if we have to. But Jesus, when we get there, we see a glorious moment where you're going to start telling everybody where they line up in the kingdom. And so they were more concerned about the theology of glory than the theology of the cross. Hey, how can I get up here? How can I get up here? How can I climb the ladder? How can I make this much money? How can I do that? How can I get... Jesus says, you'll never get the theology of glory until you've had the theology of the cross. First the cross, then the glory. It's very hard for us to get that in our mind. It, it, it is so counter to the way our culture has taught us to be. And so Jesus says, I mean, you, don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And they say, hey, Jesus, do whatever we ask you. Okay, that's, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? This is, this is the terrible origin of that theology called name it and claim it. If you just have enough faith to name it, you can claim it for God. And you can, like Jesus Christ is some kind of bellhop to you that will give you whatever you want if you just have enough faith. That is a horrible theology. Name it and claim it. That's not how it works. You know what that basically is? That's a theology of gimme, gimme, gimme. That's what it is. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. But that's, that's the way they're saying, now whatever we ask of you, you give it to us. Matter of fact, we command you to do that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Have your kids ever done that with you? My kids have done that all the time when they were growing up. Now, Dad, what I'm about to ask you, I don't want you to say no. Okay, well, I immediately know when they say to me, they don't want me to say no, I know my answer. No. I just sound right up, no. No, I don't want you to say no. Well, I don't even need to hear the question because you already have in your mind that I'm going to say no, so I'll just say it now. No. None of, that's what these, these two are acting like little kids. 
We know you might not like this, so don't say no. Do whatever we ask of you. He just sees saying that to God. And so they say that to him. And uh, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. Just try to fathom that for a minute. Okay, Jesus, we know you're number one. You're number one, man. You are it. You're number one. But we want to be number two and three. Now, Jesus, we're humble enough to ask that you decide who gets to be on the left and who the right. Now, we don't want to, we don't want to put that on you. We're, we're humble in that matter, but we still want to be two and three. Okay? So, Lord, we come to you humbly, and you could either pick my shifty-eyed two-time and brother or me. But you make the decision, Lord. I don't want to, I don't want to ask that of you. And so they, they, they have like almost a sense of humility, but it's all messed up. It's appalling. It's appalling. I got to thinking about this. He just said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. He said, I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be criticized. I'm going to be spit on and I'm going to be killed. And look at you two. You're so self-consumed just thinking about you. How's this going to affect me? There, there, well, what self-advantage could I get out of this? Isn't that amazing? That, that's just incredible. That, let, me, let me just put that into our language. It's like your mom telling you she just found out she has terminal cancer. And the first question out of your mouth is, can I have the house? Can I have the house, Mom? You've got to be kidding me. That's why there's so much infighting sometimes with families when it comes to wills and settlements. Because immediately when somebody's dying, someone's thinking, I want the house. What about your mom dying? I know I feel bad about that, but I want the house. That's, that's what they're doing. They've got that kind of spirit in them. Now, as painful as it is, we're not immune to acting like this. It is absolutely possible to believe the right thing about his kingdom coming and at the same time miss the point of his kingdom. You miss the whole point. Is there, is there just a chance you've done that? It's so easy to come and praise God and praise Jesus, and then you let the butcher at the Harris Theater have it. And somehow, that doesn't seem to be a conflict inside of you. Like, man, get the meat right. But then I'm praising God. And see, this is like such a little thing in us that just messes everything up. And, and we just miss the whole point of that. And, and I'll tell you what it is. I, I've been thinking about this all week, and this is where it kind of came home to me. We, we feel entitled to our feelings. We feel like our feelings are the most important thing at that moment. This is how I'm feeling. They took advantage of me. That's not right. I can't. That hurt my feelings. We feel entitled to them, and that, that so impacts our lives. And I think that's what's going on here. They realize, hey, we don't want to miss out on second and third. See, Jesus wants us to have feelings, okay? He wants us to have feelings. He made us with feelings. That's how we have passion. That's how we have love, with our feelings. 
but he doesn't want us to be led by our feelings. That's huge. You don't want us to be led by them. Problems with God-given feelings is when we do negative things with them. We do negative things with them. Listen, we can, we can get so hurt by our feelings. We can get so hurt. Some of you have been bruised by your feelings, forsaken or rejected. And here's the deal. You don't show anybody. You don't show anybody. You're good at it. You can hide your feelings. You break your leg. Everybody sees you broke your leg. You break your arm. Everybody sees you broke your arm. But you get hurt and a broken heart? That nobody sees. Nobody sees the broken heart. It's impossible to treat a broken heart. There's no prescription you can go get. Isn't that an amazing thing? A child not raised by his birth parents. Just think about that just for a minute. There's no prescription to take away that pain. There's no prescription. You may soften the pain, but it's still there. It's still there. It still ticks. So what do we have to do? What, what I think, this is what I've been thinking about, we have to manage our feelings. We have to kind of have guardrails around them. We've got to control them. Because if you listen to your emotions, you make snap decisions you regret later. I wrote this in my notes, and I want you to get this. This is, this is worth coming to today just for this, okay? Never make permanent decisions over temporary circumstances. Never make permanent decisions over temporary circumstances. In the temporary moment of passion, you make a permanent decision you'll live to regret. You'll live to regret it. Feelings are so important. Listen, I won't throw them out, but they have to be managed. They have to be managed. Because if you're wounded, you can hide it. You can hide it. No one sees a broken heart, but you got some hurt feelings in your marriage. You got some hurt feelings with your children. You got some hurt feelings on your job. You got some hurt feelings because you don't know why your mom treated your sister better than you. No one asked you to sing solo. <laughs> and it hurt your feelings. It hurt your feelings. I read this article some time ago. I, I don't know if it's true. I couldn't verify it. I couldn't find it again. But it says, people say hurtful stuff and it can make your hair stop growing. Some of you have been hurt a lot. Some of you have been hurt a lot here. I can see that looking around. <laughs> but if you're not careful, the offense will become a distraction from the calling. This is what's happening to these guys. Not only are James and John saying we want to be first in there, but now the, the other ten are ticked off themselves. What are you doing? They're not ticked off because they're so insensitive to Jesus. Don't you know he's going to die? That would be a nice thing if they were, in, they were saying, you're so insensitive to Jesus, he's going to a cross. You know what their thought is? We didn't get there first. We didn't get there first. That's why they're so ticked off. It's, it's a mess, isn't it? It's a, we're a mess. But if you're not careful, the offense will become a distraction from the calling. You'll put, 
You'll put all this energy into settling the offense rather than focusing on the mission God has for you. Your wounded feelings will be your sand ballot and Tobiah. And you'll come down off your wall to settle an argument you shouldn't even be in. And then your thought will be, well, I settled it. I told them. I let them have it. No. You just lost the victory. You just lost the victory. The disruption in your life was a distraction from the purpose that God had for you. But you got so caught up in the disruption, you got distracted from God's call. God's call. That's why the Bible says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that means, and I've learned this as a pastor. You've got to have tough skin. You have got to have tough skin. But a soft heart. Man, that is tough. Tough skin, soft heart. Because God says, if you'll have tough skin and a soft heart, God says, I'll deal with it. Let me handle that, okay? Let me handle that. Let me take that off of you. I don't want you distracted by that. Just, will you just rest in me. Just rest in me. You're, you're fighting. You're fighting to be first. You're fighting to be respected. You're fighting for your dignity. Will you cut it out? Just, just let me handle that. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to get involved. You don't have to fill your heart with anger. You don't have to get even. You don't have to straighten them out. I'll fight your battle. You just sang it. You just sang it. I'll fight your battle. And I've learned you can't win anyone to a loving God with an angry heart. You can't win anyone to God with an angry heart. So, so their emotions are so unsettled here. And verse 38, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> you have no idea what you're asking me. This is so far above your pay grade you don't get it. You don't have a clue about this. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to take? Now, what's he's doing? He's going back to the Old Testament. Because he's not talking about baptism in a dunk where you go down and up. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. He's saying, are you able to take the cup of God's wrath and have it poured on you and out over you and to bear all the sins of the world? Are you able to take that like I'm going to take it on a cross? Are you able to be baptized? That word baptism means to be immersed in suffering. That's what it means. When the children of Israel went across on dry land and then God said, Moses, lift up your staff and then the water fell on the Egyptians as they were coming to chase the children of Israel. That's the word baptized. To be submersed and catastrophically destroyed at that moment in time. You think you're on the trail to get those Israelites, and the next minute you are violently killed. That's the word, to be baptized. It is to be, Jesus said, I'm going to have to take that on myself. Can you do it, James and John? And look what they say. We're able. It's so cocky. We're able. It's a piece of cake. It's no big deal. You know, when I get to heaven, someday up in heaven, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find James and John. And I'm going to say, what were you thinking back there? What were you thinking? And you know what I think they're going to say to me? I hate you brought that up. <laughs> that was my most embarrassing moment. 
Because at that moment in time, I thought it was a piece of cake. I had no idea what was happening. I thought we were going to take over the kingdom. I thought the angels were coming from heaven. I thought it was all over. But in reality, I had no idea. And I wish I could take it back. Do you ever wish you could take something back? Because you let your emotions drive you? I bet that's how they felt. And Jesus said, this is what amazes me about Jesus. Jesus doesn't humiliate him, which we are inclined to do. We're inclined to go tell somebody else what somebody said to us and how they acted with us, and we're inclined to go tell someone. Or we're inclined to, to come back at them. But, but this, this is absolutely amazing to me. He doesn't humiliate them. He speaks lovingly and tender toward them. I still can't get over that. I'm going to a cross, and you guys want to be on my right and my left. Does anybody in my group get this? What's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you guys? Can you just see? I can see me doing that. Just what's wrong? I mean, and, and yet Jesus has this way of just being tender. And he says, you will bear the wrath of God. You won't bear it like I got to bear it, but you will bear it, James and John. And they did. They had no idea what they were talking about. But James became the first disciple of Jesus Christ to be martyred by beheading. Do you know anybody in your family that's been beheaded? James was the first. And then John was never martyred. John wasn't martyred. He went his whole life. He got exiled to Patmos, could never leave the island. He was alone for the remaining years of his life. And then he died a natural death. You say, okay, Pastor Rob, James, John. I'll take John. I'll take John. Really? You'd take John? You think about that for a minute before you decide on those two. Okay? Ever watch Band of Brothers? And you watch the emotional turmoil those guys go through as their brothers, their comrades fall in the fight and are killed? Scene after scene, they're around their buddy who's dying. Scene after scene, they're there trying to do everything they can to ease the pain. And then they watch their life gone. And then the men start having PTSD and nervous breakdowns while they're fighting their war. And people are snapping in the band of brothers. I mean, think about that for a minute. Would you rather die in the battle or would you rather be alive with PTSD, which some of you in this room have, because of war? And if you see that enough and enough and enough and enough, you want to be the last guy or would you rather be the first guy? Some of you have even said that, and I've read articles on it where they say, why me? Why did I live? Why did they die? And maybe I should have died. And they wrestle with all those kind of thoughts. It drives them crazy sometimes. And they come to the service, they sit in the back so they can get out of here when they start feeling nervous. Why do they do that? Because they've watched their comrades die. Now, John was the only one not martyred, but he watched every one of the disciples be martyred, all ten of them. Of course, Judas betrayed, but all ten of them were martyred but him. And he had to carry that. He had to carry all that, all that stuff to the grave. It's a, it's a torture in and of itself. Just talk to some of these military guys that have seen combat. That's what John had to face. 
Now, Jesus said in verse 39, as far as the right or the left, it's not my call. This is interesting. This is surprising teaching here about Jesus and God. He submitted that decision to his dad. He said, I don't get to call that one. I don't get to decide who's on my right and my left. Here is Jesus, very God, and he says, that's my father's call. He is God, right? Jesus is God, but he saw no inconsistency to bow and bend the knee to his father, and yet he's God. Why do we struggle? If God can do that, why do we struggle? What Jesus is basically saying in this passage is we need to omit selfishness from our lives. There's got to be a mission. There's got to be some omission. There's got to be some things you omit, and that's part of it. Let me go on to point number three, and I'll close this out, okay? Climb down in submission. Climb down in submission. So the boys get in an argument. The ten are mad at the two, and they're going back and forth. And Jesus says, huddle up. Come on, come on. Stop, every one of you. Let me tell you something, okay? Jesus is going to give the core of the book of Mark right here in this passage. And he says, listen, verse 42, you know that those who are recognized as rulers, the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become your great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be a slave of all. Freedom of the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And verse 45 is the key verse that he unfolds all the rationale for what he's doing. I came to be a ransom. I came to serve you guys. How do you, how do you not get that? The culture. The culture is why they didn't get it. Jesus has to unpack the counterculture that's fighting this mindset. Like, i got to unpack it for you. I want to unpack the counterculture. It's working against this mindset. And so Jesus unpacks it, and he says to them, don't look at my kingdom like you look at this kingdom. Don't do that. Don't do that. What do the Gentiles love in the culture? They love authority. They love power. They love money. They love prestige. They want to be the top, and they want to always get to the top. I mean, what does your kid dream about when he goes to bed? Imagine he dreams that, I hope one day I grow up and I'm a slave. No. I want to take over and be better than Michael Jordan. That's what he dreams about. I want to be better than that guy. I want to be better than that guy. And Jesus says, look at the culture. They exercise lordship. They're always looking for a way to push their name and push themselves and tell you what they did and all the accomplishments they have. Why are they like that? Because they want to get up, 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 up. He said, don't you be like that. They want to name cities after themselves. Caesarea Philippi, Caesar Philip. They put their faces on coins so they can show you who they are. They got their name on a coin. They got their face on a coin. They think they're God. They think they're God. Bow down to them. I'm in authority, buddy. You bow down to me. And Jesus couldn't stand that kind of stuff. He hated that kind of lordship. And the disciples couldn't stand it. And all those following Jesus couldn't stand it. 
unless the places were switched, then they wouldn't mind it. See? We want to be second and third. Can we switch places, Jesus? The ten are upset at the two. We should have asked first. See, they hate it when they see it in other people and they see other people lording over everyone else and running the show and demanding that they do certain things, but they don't mind if the place is switched and they got the shoe on the other foot. And then they're happy about that. Jesus says, don't let that be among you. Don't let that be among you. It doesn't belong in my kingdom, in my earthly kingdom, in my heavenly kingdom. The great are servants. The first are slaves. <laughs> wow. Your culture won't teach you that. And by the way, probably a lot of people in this church won't teach you that. They'll teach you how to get up to the top. They'll teach you how to claw to the top. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't be fooled. Jesus says, if you want to live in my kingdom, you will be this. You will be a slave. Now, if we're left to ourselves in our own flesh, I promise you we're going to go the way of the world. We're going to try to exalt ourselves. We're going to try to build ourselves up just like the culture because the culture is rigged to tell you. The culture is rigged to tell you you are more important than you are. They'll tell you in commercials. They'll tell you in this community. You are more important than you are. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Now, here's what I was thinking. What if we treated everybody in this area as better than us? I know that's crazy, isn't it? What if the grocery clerk at the store was better than us? What if we treated him that way? What if we treated the butcher like that? <laughs> what if you treated your uncle like that? What if you treated your brother-in-law that you don't like like that? Can you imagine treating somebody you don't like like that, that you can't stand? What if we considered ourselves less than all? What if we really did that? Now, I don't know how they would respond, but I will tell you this. If you do that, they've just seen a picture of Jesus. They've just seen a picture of Jesus. That's what he's trying to drive home here. By the way, I want to throw this out. This little thought I had growing up in life and just starting to realize this in the older part of my life. When I watch people, I've learned this about myself. I don't watch how they treat important people. I watch how they treat people that they don't think are important to them. That's how you know a person. Don't look how they treat Pastor Rob. Look how they treat people that they don't think are important to them. That's a little tidbit I learned along the way in life. The waitress, the bus driver, the Uber guy, the DoorDash. Because how they treat the people that they don't think are important to them lets me know that that's how they treat me if they were ever up on top. I choose my friends by the way they treat people they don't need. 
Because when they stop needing you, they will stop treating you that way the same. I was in a premarital counseling this weekend. I said this to the couple when they're dating. Watch how the other person treats the waiter at the restaurant. Watch how they treat the person who parks the car when you go to that nice restaurant. You'll have a clue into the rhythm of their emotions and how they handle life. You'll have just a clue, and you want to figure that out before you ever say, I do. Because the truth of the matter is, there's just something about crazy in a person. It'll always peek its head out at some point, and you'll be able to see who they really are. But you've got to give it enough time to see who they really are. What am I saying here to you? Jesus watches how we handle people. He watches how we handle people. Even so much so, he watches how I treat my wife. That's scary to me, quite honestly, how I treat my wife, what I say to her, what are my comments, what did I just tell her. He says, dwell according to knowledge with her, as under the weaker vessel, heirs together with the grace of life. Why? That your prayers may not be hindered. Now, ladies, that's a powerful verse for a man. What God is saying to the man is, if you don't treat her right, I will shut heaven. And what he's telling you ladies is, don't you worry about a thing, I'm taking care of you. Jesus watches how we handle people. Anybody can be a servant when they need the job. Anybody can be a servant when they're going up the ladder. But very few people take the time to respect the janitor, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Okay, all of them, right there in one. You've got to treat people with dignity. I know you'll look weak and helpless. I know, because that's in me too. You'll look weak and helpless. And I know you can win the fight with your fists if you need to. But that's the last place you want to be if you want to be great in his kingdom. It's not done with the fists. These battles are not won that way. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So here's what I want to say to you. Okay? Incre- you say, to, say to God somewhere this day or this week, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith when my feelings are hurt. That's what it means to increase your faith when your feelings are hurt. So Jesus says to them in the end, then he said, this is why I came. I came to serve you guys. I came to be a ransom. That's that's the only time it's said there. It's the whole motive of Mark. I came to be a ransom for many. I came to die for your sin. A ransom. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay God the Father the price required to ransom you because you're in bondage to death. You're in bondage to sin, but I'm going to ransom that price. But I can't do it with money. It's not money. and Money's not going to work with God. It has to be my blood. It has to be all of my blood. And every bit of it has to be shed to pay the price, pay the ransom for your sin. And if you've never confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've never really asked Him to forgive you, right now, I'm telling you, as clear as I can, you are upside down with your sin. And there's nothing you can do in yourself to right-side up yourself. You have to take His ransom. 
You have to accept the ransom price and say, Jesus, save me. That's it. That's your only option. If you're trying to earn it or get there on your own or do something to kind of say, I'm good enough to get there, forget it. Forget it. It has to be His blood applied to your life. I'm going to close with this because I did want to say this just as I close. People ask me, who had the most impact on you, the person or books? I've probably been asked a hundred times, what are your top five books or your top three books in your lifetime that you've read? Top three, top five. And I tell them, let me tell you something about that. Those aren't really what made the biggest impact on my life. And then the people, if I told you the people, you wouldn't even know them. It's amazing to me as I look back over my life and I start when I was five years old. At five years old, I don't even know the lady's first name. Her name was Miss Perry. She was my Sunday school teacher. And I remember the room. She was a big old chubby thing. She had these big old lips look like lima beans and I love lima beans. She had big old puffy lips, cheeks, cheeks like that. And she would hug me every time I come to Sunday school. She'd make me cookies. She'd play with me. She'd teach me. She even got my first spank. I got my first spanking from her because she told my dad something. I did not pay attention to her. My dad spanked me. And so now all she had to do was lean over and say, you want me to call your dad? Nope. I'd straighten right up, right up. That woman was the start of a walk in my life because she was a servant to me. The people that have most affected me have been servants to me along the way. I just see that so clearly now. It's been the servants. It hasn't been all the great books I read. It hasn't been all the great things I learned. It was the fact that there were servants along the way from five-year-old all the way up to my adulthood that have served me. That's made the difference. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed, eyes closed, the praise team's going to come. They're going to play here this morning for the invitation song. If you've not confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've not asked Him to forgive you of your sin, you are upside down in your sin. And only Jesus can make you right side up. And you may be here right now and you may say, Gee, uh, uh, Pastor Rob, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's the ransom for my sin. I've not been saved. I want to put my sin under his ransom. If that's your prayer, would you just lift up your hand for just a moment right where you are. Just lift it up in this room. Put it high so I can see it. Hold it up till I see it. And I want to know. You'd say, Pastor Rob, that's, yes, I see that hand. Is there another? Is there another here? Is there another one? Just lift it up. Saw it at the front here. Okay, that's the only hand I saw. I'm just going to go on with the service. Just say, Jesus. <laughs> I'm a sinner. My sin deserves judgment. You paid the ransom with your blood. I trust you with the saving of my soul for everything. Save me. 
Now, if you're here and you're a child of God and you know him, I want to just say this to you as this praise team begins to sing. Jesus is our leader. And I'm telling you, it won't be easy. And the truth is, I know this. You won't like it. I don't like it. No one in this culture is going to reinforce it. No one. And some in this church are not going to reinforce it either. But you remember, he's the one you follow. And he just laid down the guidelines for your eternity. Lord, increase my faith when, when my feelings are hurt. Let's increase them, Lord. Father, take this message now. Apply it to each of our hearts. Thank you for the word. Thank you for its truth. Speak to us now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us. If there's a need in your heart or something you want to lay at this altar today, the altar's open. You come this morning.